The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Lorehounds One Shots, where the Lorehounds your guides to the hell of World War II air combat. I'm David. And I'm Brandon. And this is our coverage of the Apple TV original series, Masters of the Air. So, Brandon, we're going to do this as a two-part podcast. We're going to cover episodes one and two today, and then we're going to come back at the end of the season with sort of a wrap-up. It's a nine-episode long thing, and it's not really a week-to-week, so we thought we'd break it up this way. So the format of this podcast, mostly we're going to be kind of, we're not going to do the blow-by-blow like we do for normal running shows. We're going to kind of vibe-check this whole one uh, where we talk mostly scene by scene, but uh, we might skip around depending on the thing. We watched two in, at once. Yeah, we uh, we got some show set up first, then we'll do our spoiler-free thoughts, uh, and then followed by a break so we can get to the details of the first two episodes. Sounds good. And then stick around to the end of the podcast, and we'll have programming notes about our upcoming schedule, and I'll also touch on a few features of being a Patreon subscriber. We would love to hear your thoughts on the show, so send your emails to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com. We'll hold all the emails and we'll read them on air uh, on the part two podcast. Right. And you can also send messages to us on the contact form or the voicemail feature at our website. And of course, we've got our Discord. So links for all of those things will be in the show notes below. All right, Brandon. Hey, we've got Hi. this is you and me two two podcasts almost back to back. I that's, know. Uh, that's exciting. I feel like a real podcaster all of a sudden. Have you and John even d- done fan- f- your final? No, fantasy? we're we're still figuring out how to get that one done. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, uh, he's he's finally got uh, he's all caught up. He's beat the game. Okay, uh, we're there's no more race for that. We're just k- trying to make the schedules align at this right point. life schedules. So that's being said, yeah, you and I have podcasted now twice in a row without you podcasting with anybody else. So whatever. Gosh. Exciting times. Look at us. So a quick note about these one shots. This is actually going to be a two shot, but the idea with this formatting is, is when we're not doing full week to week coverage, we can do shorter versions of shows and we got screeners for this. And so I started watching the first couple of episodes. John decided to pass it's, you know, war genre is not really his bag. So he was like, no, I don't think so. And then as I was watching it, I just really, it really realized that this is not a kind of show that we could do weekly podcasts and, you know, take it apart. So we figured, oh, this will be cool. Since they're releasing two episodes right up front, we can kind of do a a scene setter for that. And then we can take everybody's feedback 
and do a wrap-up podcast at the end. So I think that'll work pretty good. And you've seen episodes one and two now too. Did you watch ahead any further or? I did not. Um, okay. I did. I kind of wanted to be a li- like. Fresh right. in it. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, well, I'll say it right up top. It's, it's sort of a hard show to follow. And, but I, I kind of wanted to stay in the, the mindset of where the audience will be when they hear nice. this. So cool. So let's talk a little bit of setup for the show. This is basically the Wikipedia article for the, uh, you know, skimmed all that information from there and a, and a few other sources. This is a nine episode series airing on Apple TV and they're dropping two episodes for the initial drop, which is always a kind of a nice thing, you know, get people hooked, give them a couple of things to binge, but then space it out week to week. I've- it's it's a nice way to do it a little bit. You can right. be like, oh, I got a good chunk of meat to get into on this one. Right. But you know, you can still have your cake and eat it too and watch it weekly whenever it comes out. Right. So this is this show is about the hundredth bomb group, which are flying B-17 fortresses during World War II, during the European Air War. And they're part of the Eighth Army. And it's historical fiction based on a 2007 book by Donald J. Miller called Masters of the Air, America's Bomber Boys Who Fought the Air War Against Nazi Germany. That's quite a colon there. I, I fucking love that. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to the F word so early in the show, but holy shit, what a cool, what a fun thing to say. Like those are just fun times in naming. naming yeah, exactly. They, they really ran with it. They really ran with it. They'll name a group anything. Yeah. So this is a companion piece to... Uh, the 2001 television series Band of Brothers, which was really great, and the culture 2000- shifting in its day. Sorry, culture shifting in its day. Everyone it was a big deal, Band wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was. It was during that early golden era of, or you know, whatever the eras that were, however we call the eras. But it was certainly part of that uh, collection of television that were people were like, "Oh, you can do this on television." Whoa. Mm-hmm. And then obviously that really picked up a lot of energy from the 98 movie Saving Private Ryan. So it was sort of Saving Private Ryan, then Band of Brothers, and then the 2010 production of The Pacific, which all of which document key parts of the American perspective of World War II in both Europe and the Pacific theaters. Uh, are you a fan or did you have, you, I assume you've consumed all of, all of those three other titles. I have not. Um, I caught band of brothers back in the day, okay. 2001, I was 11 years old. So, um, <laughs> I was, I watched it with my dad fully not understanding the gravity of what was going on. Mm-hmm, I was just like, wow, it. this show's, this show's pretty sad, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I never got around to the Pacific. The Pacific. I was 20, so okay. I was not wanting to really dig into World War II at the time. I was too busy playing music and bars and drinking and, and all my fun stuff. Right. It's something I definitely want to go back to because by all accounts, it is, it is excellent prestige television. Um, but yeah, I, um, and Saving Private Ryan, have you seen? Absolutely. Yes, okay. it is. Um, it is excellent. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant, giant hot takes there. Saving Private Ryan. Great movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. So, yeah. Uh, so this is produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. And obviously they, from their Saving Private Ryan experience, they were like, oh, hey, there's something here. Let's keep running with it. And out came uh, a Band of Brothers and then the Pacific. I will say that I had a harder time with the Pacific. It's just a much more brutal 
I mean, can you compare the brutality of war from one to the another? It certainly is a bleaker landscape and a, and a kind of tenor and tone of the combat seemed just more insane in the Pacific theater as opposed to the European front where you had lines and people were sort of moving forward and back and you had a lot, uh, a different kind of civilian infrastructure that was present for you. So great, this fun, is great fun stuff. <laughs> yes, I know. Right. Like, here we are sweet summer children who've never had to experience the horrors of this. Yep. The show is created by John Shiban and John Orloff. And I, like I mentioned, executive producers, uh, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. This has a reported budget of $250 million. And this is the first production by Apple Studios. So not just something streaming on Apple, but Apple's own in-house production studio. This is their first out-of-the-gate title. Huh. So th- is that like a timeline thing or they've literally not released anything yet? Because I'm this is actually the first thing I've ever watched from Apple. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you could... What we've seen on Apple so far has been produced by other companies that then okay. Apple has purchased and licensed the streaming. I see. This is okay. Apple's in-house division for content entertainment. So apparently, that's what the internets tell me. Wow, okay. Right, yeah, even I if I'm you. wrong. I believe the internet. The internet's yeah. always right. Always right. And originally, the deal was with HBO, but then HBO declined. And then Apple picked it up and they, said, they okay, saw a couple episodes. This will be outside of our, this will be, well, even before this was back way back oh, when negotiating yeah, like yeah. contracts. Okay. And yeah, each, for whatever reason, uh, HBO declined, which is weird because the Pacific and band of brothers are both, uh, I believe HBO. And you still got Steven Spielberg. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That, interesting. That's a weird one. And this has been a long anticipated title. People have been waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it. And it's uh, finally here. They had, I think, some production delays because of the boot camp. They built like a boot camp and, and the airfields and all the stuff that they had to build. And then they actually ran the actors through a couple of weeks of boot camp and, you know, everybody wearing uniforms and actually living life as, you know, pseudo soldiers. To, and, and they've done that, I think, in, for a lot of these, for Band of Brothers and you are not prior service, are you, David? I am not. I'm adjacent, though. I I, I was uh, uniformed, but for civilian law enforcement a long time ago. Okay. So the and I've always of, had friends in the military, and I almost went in the you know. So like same. I, I live right off of formerly Fort Bragg, uh, mm-hmm. currently Fort Liberty. Right. Um, I have always yes. I, I grew up around the area. Um, the idea of actor boot camp just sounds so funny to me, <laughs> right? Uh, just because you know you hear you you know you you see your friends ship off and ship back buff and with no hair, and they right. have all these right. sort of horror stories about how you know it was, and then you get older people telling stories, but then you got like you know. <laughs> Austin Butler. <laughs> like how rough was it for, for right, him? Still exactly. still getting his voice coached back from the Elvis portrayal that right. he had to get he had to get a voice teacher to teach him how to not talk like Elvis anymore. And so, they still yeah. have yeah, their wavy hair, their beautiful yeah. hair. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's gorgeous hair. Beautiful hair. Everyone has gorgeous hair. That's a spoiler though. We'll get into it later. I think with a lot of the production delays in here, there were some, you know, issues in terms of historical stuff and where they were filming and what they wanted to build. And then there were COVID issues as well. And then this is pure speculation on my part, but I wouldn't wonder that there's so much CGI in this show 
that it really probably there was a lot of work there that maybe they didn't anticipate or with the CGI backlogs and the industry in general. But there's so much CGI in here that looks really good that uh, it's it wasn't a small effort to make these episodes. Yeah, without spoiling anything, it it's an amazing looking show. Seamless as far as I'm concerned, as, as far as the CGI goes. And, you know, they're not, they don't have planes in the air. So everything you're seeing is probably CGI. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it looks fantastic. Uh, every every dollar <laughs> that, that, uh, <laughs> that right. they spent, I'm, I'm looking at it. So yeah, um, I wouldn't doubt that. That probably did, you know, impact them. They're holding about, uh, so it's not released yet uh, to the public. We've seen a couple of screeners and uh, other critics have had a hold of this for a while. The embargo's just lifted and apparently on Metacritic, it's holding a score of 75, which is pretty good. And it had a breakdown of 68 positive and 32 mixed reviews. 32%, 32%, these are percentages, 68% and 32%, with no negative reviews, which I thought was interesting. So yeah. I think with all of that uh, out of the way, let's start to talk a little bit spoiler-free about our hot takes. So the idea here is we can kind of give you a sense of what you're going into. You can go watch it or you know, or when you get around to watching this. And then at the end of the season, we'll come back and we'll, we'll get into details again. But Brandon, so far, episodes one and two, where are you at? What are you feeling? It is a visual spectacle. It is hard to follow mm-hmm. plot-wise. Right. There is so much... Hmm, the focus is not, is not very narrow. So um, I'm having a hard time with like characters or knowing what's going on in any real capacity. I had to like for a second, like, Oh, wait, all right. So are these dudes I'm, I'm supposed to know, is this going to be an event uh, that I'm aware of? Is this leading up to like Pearl Harbor or something? So I looked, I was like, Oh, it's just fictional. It's about the, the bomber boys. So I, I was a little perplexed about that, but by the end of episode two, I was like, I like some of these characters a great deal. And I don't like some of them in fun ways. I'm enjoying my time with it. I, I we talked before coverage of this because you've got, World War II people. Like, it is their yes. whole shit. They love World War II. Right. I can slip into World War II fever pretty quick, where mm-hmm. I'm like, I get all into it. I start down Wikipedia holes, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. This is an interesting battle. Uh, you know, let's get into it. But I don't carry it around with me all the time. Um, right. So this was something I was interested in. It is, it's also like a very niche thing in mm-hmm. World War II here. So it's like a niche of a niche. But yeah, I'm, I would say... <laughs> overall in summation i'm enjoying it so i guess that your recommendation would be qualified like if you're into the historicity and the world war ii stuff this is something that you might not want to miss yes i'll say that and also like if you're just into period pieces in general right which is you know it's kind of a it's a pretty broad brush to paint with but Period wise, it's great. You've got great music. You've got mm-hmm. great sort of everything about it uh, fits the vibe of that time really well, like really historically accurate looking things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would I would give it a like a like a one thumbs up, one thumb okay. up. Yeah, I think I'm in a in a bit of a same space. I really struggled through episode one and yeah. episode two. I was like, OK, I'm, I'm kind of getting into the groove of this. Episode three 
I'm kind of WTF. There's some just a weird thing that goes on. And I'm like, uh, okay, how is this going to impact the story? Uh, <laughs> but yet it was still enjoyable and I'm still glad I'm watching it. I, as a Gen Xer, grew up with Saturday afternoon matinees coming home, turning on the TV and, you know, catching the last half of Kelly's Heroes or, you know, the Guns of Navarone or, you know, all of these kinds of things. So we lived in the shadow of World War II movies and there just tons of them. So it's very much a part of my uh, nostalgia to watch World War II stuff. So I was like, I was pretty excited for this to come out. And I really enjoyed Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan. I had a hard time with the Pacific, as we were talking about before. Yeah, uh, for for the tone of it. But again, it was, you know, to document this kind of history and and preserve a sensibility of what times were like then and, and the kinds of emotional responses people were having going through the trauma and the horribleness of all of this. It's it's something that uh, is good that we have a kind of reproduction of it. A lot of the World War II movies that I grew up with, they're fun, they're silly, they're or they're, you know, sort of cool spy stories, but they're glossy movies in in some yeah. way or, or, or form. And where the Band of Brothers, Saving Private Ryan stuff, while it's still slick production, it's trying to touch on the fact that war is hell. The, the toll that it has on human beings, those kinds of moral situations that it puts people into, the, the, the pure graphic violence of it, right? At least it's documenting yeah. that to some degree so that we children who have not experienced war can go, oh, well, maybe that would kind of suck. You know, maybe we don't want to go down that, that road. Absolutely. Like Saving Private Ryan in general, like just the beginning, the soundscape of the, uh, the storming, storming of the beach in yeah. Normandy, like the, it's just brutal. I, I remember the first time seeing that just like I had no air in my body at all. <laughs> it was just, right. it was insane. And then like, you know, you get the, the really close, the close up murder uh, that yes. that happens mm-hmm. in that movie um, with the knife. It's, it's some of those things you're talking about, where it's just like the stark reality of yeah. how brutal war can be. Yeah, and I, I will say you get a you get a fair amount of that right in the first two episodes. And as as you were saying that, like we both had such a hard time with the first. T- uh, episode and then this but the second one cleaned it up and I'm thinking maybe they're like go ahead and release both <laughs> right <laughs> get, let people get through it that might be a a pretty good idea there for them so I, I I totally agree with you that episode one is a real head scratcher there's a bunch of individual it's like a bunch of individual scenes that they just stuck together and put you know opening and ending credits on it and called it an episode it doesn't yeah, it doesn't feel like a narrative no it doesn't and and I was thinking about this a little bit more. I think what this is, is they're trying to tell the story of the book rather than telling a story that was inspired by the book Mm. and fictionalizing some characters with some historical hard points. Okay. The bomber group did a raid on this location on this date, right? That'll be a hard contact point, but in between everything else, we're just going to make up and the characters are going to whatever. So I think they're trying to mirror the book in some ways which I think is its chief fault so far because they're, and I haven't read the book, so I can't say that this for certain, but that's what it feels like to me is that they're trying to follow those same contours. That and, makes sense. You know, certain characters did certain things and this is what they did. And it just doesn't, 
it, it's a jumble. And the only thing that's, there's only a couple of scenes of real consequence in the first episode. So I think knowing that, if you're in, if you're a person who's going to watch this series, just know that. Just mo- get through episode one, and then you know, and just keep writing it, and just realize that there are really great scenes that are stitched in between scenes. You're like, okay, well, this is cool, but I don't know what it's doing for me narratively. That that's kind of the way I'm feeling. You don't have to know all the characters' names. You don't, don't have to. Yes. Don't even try. You don't, don't even have try. To, you don't even really need to know what these boys are doing. You're going to get everything explained to you. Just, yep. just pick a boy and ride with that boy for a while, and you're going to be fine. Right. Um, I think that's good. They'll hold your hand, and you'll get your, you'll get through it. It the jumps in time. Done. You're like, wait, when is this? How long has this been? What you know? How? Yeah. It just doesn't. It doesn't seamlessly stitch together. I'll also say that. I wish they would have wiped the the Vaseline off the lens a little bit more. I know you enjoy you're enjoying the music you, you said, but yes. it's a lot of swelling, you know, drums and yeah. French horns, forlorn <laughs> French horns and whatnot. It's a really pretty show. The French they, horn is the main is one of the main characters in the first episode. <laughs> it for totally sure. is. There's a lot of especially during the credit scene. There's a lot of really set piece shots where people are looking heroic and, and whatnot. And I think they're really biting for band of brothers on that one. I think, I think you're right. What it was. I think you're right. So just move all past to that and, and just know that there's some cool stuff. And if you've ever been interested in what part of air combat looked like in the European theater, this thing is scary accurate in the same way that the you know the landing of, at Omaha Beach there in in the beginning of uh, Saving Private Ryan recreated that sort of accuracy and that intensity. I feel that when we're with the bombing group when they're on their missions, it's like yeah. oh my god, this is insane. This is I don't know that I would could get back into a plane after experiencing this once, surviving it at one time. Definitely not a plane made out of sheet metal or whatever the hell these things are. <laughs> <laughs> Sheet metal with like a like a like a matchbox propeller on it, like exactly. holy crap! <laughs> it's wild. Just live bombs. You got to pull the pin out of like a grenade. Absolutely insane. Okay, well, let's take a uh, quick break, and then when we come back, we'll start talking through a little bit more about the setup for the show—not the setup for the show, but the context of the show—and uh, then we're gonna kind of loosely walk through episodes one and two. We'll be right back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And we're back. Brandon, let's start talking a little bit about the whole concept of air war, the B-17s, and some of the ins and outs of what we're seeing here. As we were saying just a minute ago, the way that they've set up air combat in this and how we learn about what it's like to do a a bombing mission with these guys, it's insane. It's oh, yeah. just wild. And the and the re 
reenactment of that is, feels very accurate. It feels like we're in the plane with them. Yeah, um, and it's fun. Like a lot of blue collar jobs sort of have the same feel. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously one that requires lots of training. It's military. Yeah. Um, but so much of it is just the same bullshit. Uh, you know, you, there's all these checklists and stuff you got to right. do. Right. Like, and everyone's just trying to goof off on the, on the outside of it. Well, being serious in the middle of it, right? Yes. So, yeah. Uh, there's the big, there's the, you, you wake up, you deal with the briefing and all that. Um, in, in a closer look than sort of what we're trying to do in this section, uh, some of the best parts of this show are those moments in between all of the bloody action. Okay. Uh, to get back to like the the broadness of it all. I, I guess I didn't know that it was going to be as bloody as it is. <laughs> uh, this being a show covering the bloody 100th. Right. Um, I don't know if I expected the sort of brutality of just the flack uh, and the um, just shards of metal going everywhere mm-hmm. all over and vomiting. There's lots of vomiting too. <laughs> as well. Yeah. The, the idea that you're in this metal tube that's been stripped down and there's no pressurization. So the B-17 was designed to be a high flyer and a fast flyer. Sure. To be able to, and, and have range. So it's got a lot of fuel on it. Uh, it's got no amenities. It's loaded with uh, guys with guns just poking out of it in, in all kinds of directions. <laughs> and it's bomber payload. And it's got to get there fast and get back fast as part of its strategic defenses, right? So that you got to get all over Europe in that damn thing. Exactly. And, you know, when you've got fighters chasing you or getting through flak or, you know, getting, you know, getting to, you know, time on target stuff, that's important. And then being able to, to fly high, fly above weather because they didn't have radar and they didn't have communications that were coded or scrambled. So if the different flights of aircraft tried to talk to each other, the Germans could pick that up and then they could use some triangulation and figure out, oh, there's a bombing raid coming. So they had to keep aircraft aircraft to aircraft and squadron to squadron communications to a minimum. And they were, they're literally, and you see this, there's a whole big part of the, the first couple of episodes that has to do with the, the navigators. They're literally using slide rulers and compasses on a map Use and stopwatches, and that's absolutely how the- insane. <laughs> so, yeah, Crosby, our uh, our narrator for this show is uh, is one of those. Right. He's a he's a navigating narrator, right? Definitely very funny. Uh, and so they can't. So there's all these limitations on what they can do and how they can conduct their operations. And then the big thing that changed the way that the Americans started doing bombing was the the Norton bomb site. And we get some of that, I believe in episode three, we get a little bit more of it. In episode two, they talk about it a little bit. There's a great Wikipedia article all around, uh, around it. The whole thing of flying along at an altitude and then dropping a bunch of bombs to hit the target that you wanted to hit was really hard because you're trying to estimate how fast you're going, how long it's going to take the bombs to drop from where you drop them, right? And they're mm-hmm. they're kind of moving. They're moving as well. They have a forward velocity as well. 
And so long before the World War II started and, or, and, and even before the Americans got involved, there were people working on these problems and working on how do we do aerial bombardment. And so this guy, Norton, figured it out, you know, figured out this machine and they kept fixing, working on it and working on it. And it wasn't that it was perfect, but it was the most accurate thing that, that he was able to invent. And the thing is crazy. It is able to estimate ground speed. And then you using some optics, the bombardier can look through a visual sight, pin, you know, see the target on the ground, lock that in, and then the the little machines, the little it's all it's all mechanical inside, tracks that target based on the ground speed. And then and the leveling of the plane, because that's a big deal too, because if you're not level, the bombs will fall. That, that'll add some more angular momentum to the bombs, which will make them miss. And then he's got little controls there that, that he can do some fine-tuning adjustments because of wind, flak being like jumped around by all the flak going off. But then, then that whole bomb site is slaved to an autopilot machine, which is then you know connected back up to the cockpit, and so he's flying the plane literally as they're on their final bit of the bomb run, and so that's what makes this all possible. But but to do that, they have to do daytime bombing, so their bombing is more precise and more devastating, whereas the Brits are bombing at night. And they're just guessing. <laughs> they're just like, eh, this seems about right. Let them go. Yeah, they kind of get into this in the show a little bit. It's something that I didn't know uh, that they taught me is that the Brits will bomb wherever uh, and they don't care as long as the dead people are Germans. Exactly. And so that gets into the whole morality of, of aerial bombardment as a tool of warfare because it's indiscriminate. It's not targeting military uh, infrastructure. It's not targeting means of production. Uh, it's not targeting troops or you know ammo depots. They were just going bomb cities <laughs> and bomb. And I mean, the countryside. it makes sense. The the English were right there for all of this. You know, Americans right. are pretty fresh to this party. Completely. Uh, English. The English are. Uh, they have had it with Germany's shit. So um, <laughs> they will bomb wherever. They don't give a damn. Right. And I guess I I understand. Um, I do appreciate the Americans tenacity in this one where they're trying to just hit the, the targets that they want to hit. Well, and it's a, it's a question of effectiveness, right? If you're going to bomb the submarine pens or if you're going to bomb the, the fact of the ammo factories or what have you, if you're going to bomb anything, bomb the means of the war machine production so that you can slow down the enemy's ability to field, uh, arms and munitions. For sure. That's the thing that you go through. And we see this. In the show, when these planes come back, they're shredded. Yes, they are. <laughs> and they got to fix them in a day or two and get them back up in the air. Yeah. It's and, nuts. And I mean, it is nuts. Uh, but the, the cost of that precision is obviously that. It's, yeah. it's you've, you, you're, you're, you're getting your pilots killed. Right. Um, some of your most effective people in this war. Uh, and I guess the English are not willing to... Uh, they were not willing to give that up. Sacrifice was, in the same way, yeah. Because they, yeah. it's a much smaller population and they had already suffered a huge amount of losses from the initial uh, part of the war and the, the yes. Battle of uh, Britain, uh, the air war, the Battle of Britain. So the, the bomber group is called the 100th Bomber Group, right? That's its uh, military designation, but it's called the Bloody 100th. 
because they were used a lot and <laughs> they suffered a lot of casualties. And in the first bombing mission that we see in episode one, the for the real one of our, our main story components, because we see a, a, a glimpse of some stuff prior uh, with, uh, oh, what's the other character's name? Uh, Caleb Turner's, or is it Austin Butler? It's Caleb Turner. Bucky, yeah. Yeah, where he goes over a little bit early and then he goes on a mission with uh, another unit before his unit, which is the 100th, shows up. And so we see a little bit of combat there, but then when the, the 100th goes on their first big mission, they lose what, like six planes or something? Something Just, like that. Right out the gate. It's really rough. Yeah. They get separated and then the clouds, they can't even complete the bombing mission because they can't see the target because of the cloud cover. Mm-hmm. And you see as they're on the mission, these like they'll they'll show you the point of view from one character and they'll look out the window and they'll see another plane that's on fire and then it just goes into a fireball and falls out of the sky. Yep. And you're that's like That's your friend. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. That's your friend that you've been training with for over a year, almost two years maybe in in pre-deployment. You stole some of his powdered eggs whenever he wasn't looking. <laughs> exactly. And you gone. both laughed about it. And now just gone. Dead. Yep. No shoots, you know, nothing. Just I think they do have shoots. Uh, I know uh, you weren't saying that they don't have any shoots, but yeah, it's a fireball. They're all dead in there already. Yeah, yeah. And they're just falling out of the sky. So it's just crazy. So this idea of the morality of using uh, bombers to prosecute the war, the idea of daytime uh, air raids, the technology that the Americans had developed and brought over. And so that bomb site was super secret. And even though it it was, they kept it, they tried to keep it super secret, but people, everybody kind of knew our, about it already by then. And, uh, but there, there was I whole the things. papers were super excited to get every bit of information out there. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, just from like different historical things, just like the paper will just absolutely blow up the military spot if they get the chance, especially back in the day, because they weren't bought and sold by the military industrial complex yet. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they, it, it, yeah, they have to try and keep everything as secret as possible because if not, the papes will just blow, blow them up. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting construction. I'm, and I'm glad that this series is out there in terms of what we were talking about before of documenting this and sort of you know completing a, a, a broad sweep of the, the major different narrative uh, parts of the war that, that we want to be able to preserve historically, I guess. Um, question. Yeah. Bloody 100th. Yeah. It's real? Yeah. Good. Okay. Cool name. And the 8th Air Force. Yeah, this is all based on real stuff. The fictionalization of the show is the characters and the drama. Is that correct? I believe some of the main characters and the main... So Austin Butler's character and Caleb Turner. I, I could be wrong. I have not done that my fuller reading on this. I've been really busy with True Detective and, and, and going crazy. Uh, Understandable. Lots of show stuff. there. Lots of lots of lots of background work for you to be doing on your your beautiful book that you've you're making. Yes, for that show. <laughs> the the, uh, the detectives journal online journal yeah. thing that I've made. So, but I believe that those are are real people that are okay. being portrayed uh, in this. As are a lot of Band of Brothers in the Pacific. I believe the Pacific as well is all um, representing so that these were real people, but then these are fictionalized, you know, when they do the bicycle race or, you know, that's something that happened, 
but was that something that happened on that night with those exact might not have been that day might not have been like perfectly uh like the the punctuation of that with an air raid siren finishing the yeah that's not exactly how it happened but yeah it could have you never know Okay, cool. I just want to make sure uh, I am coming at this from mostly, obviously, a show perspective. Right. I, I don't yeah. I don't know anything about this other than like the broad events of World War Two, uh, especially not just and also I've never been much of a plane guy. These are this is all new information to me, right. which I think that probably says something good because I am having fun with the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like it's not the show isn't pitched right at me. Right. Like a true detective, for instance. Right, right. Or, yeah, and you're not a military geek in that same way of uh, watching all of this kind of stuff. And, no, I'm not yeah. making models and whatever. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not putting together my little battlefields. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, that, that, that ain't me, Jack. That ain't me. But yeah, I'm having a great time with it. So the other thing that I was really amazed at, and I think the show does a good job of, is explaining to us how much work it actually takes to get a squadron in the air. They take the time to show you what the ground crew is like. Yeah. Like truck driving. You got a pre-trip, you got a during trip, and you got a post-trip, all these checklists and shit you got to do. They show the whole ass crew. You're not just like, you're getting the perspective of, you know, the quarterback of the sky, the pilot. You're getting everything. The navigator with his compasses and all his math that that nerd has to do. Like, and that's just in the air on the ground. Uh, they show you like a little bit of everything. The from mess, the breakfast. we see breakfast. <laughs> yes. yes. We uh, see the, a little bit in the, the sort of quartermasters because every mission, all of their equipment has to be reset. They've got to have sidearms and German marks and chocolate bars, you know, so if they parachute out, they can, you know, have some things to, you know, try to survive at. The planes have to be repaired. They literally come back shredded with oh, yeah. holes blown in the side of them. The wings are torn apart. The engines are just a, a pile of junk. And they turn them around and they get them back up in the air. It's insane. And they show, we talked, you know, you see some of the, the air crews working on stuff. And, and things that happen like training accidents. Oh, that's a rookie... <laughs> Yeah. Rookie pilots coming in and they, they crash the plane, right? And it's like, oops, they're all they're dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whole crew. Yeah. Or things like when they're coming back, maybe this was episode two. Was this an episode two mission where the one plane gets shot up a little bit and they have to land in basically Scotland? Yes. And then yeah, they're, was, they're just uh, hanging out in Scotland until they can figure out how to get that air crew back down all the way down in England to their home base. Yes, that was Kurt's crew right, in the yeah. second episode. So quickly too, don't get attached to any of these characters because they they will be gone in a blink. You will <laughs> put all this effort into trying to understand them and follow them f- through the episodes, and then you're they're just gone. They and they and they don't even it, they literally are just gone from the show because their plane got blown up. Right? You're you're like. Wait, wait, who is that? When? Did, what happened? So yeah, they're not getting resurrected on a pyre. They're not going to respawn. These dudes are gone. <laughs> yeah, they're just they're just gone. So I, I think you were saying this before. Don't try to just go along with the show and let it sort of wash over you. Don't worry about trying to follow any one story or one character. Just take the scenes as they come and just sort of take it all in as a giant. It's definitely an ensemble. You're watching a. Um, Hmm, what's a good way to put it? Vignettes, era. slice of yeah. life. 
Sure. You're seeing different aspects of what it would like to be an American air crew in England. Yeah. It's like a historical tour. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's it. Yeah. You're, you're on a tour. You're on a, you're on a track and it's a ride. Oh, there you go. On it. Yeah. You know, you're on a Disneyland ride and you just sort of go through from room to room. Yeah. So in episode one, is there anything particular that you feel like you want to talk about or explore a little bit further? There's a lot that happens in episode one. There is. Episode one, we, uh, we've already discussed how rough it is to just try and get through it. So I was just sort of stream of consciousness m- making notes here. They don't always have to be smart things. Like the first thing I said was that mustaches aren't for everyone. Bucky has a <laughs> terrible mustache. Um, the show, okay, mustaches are big right now. And I, I do have a bit of a gripe with them. Uh, apropos of nothing, what are, what are your thoughts on the mustache there, David? How, they, how do you feel about mustaches? They look really silly. <laughs> yeah, on I'm these still guys. okay. They, yeah, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still in that. Mostly, it's mustaches are a silly thing to do to your face. Mm. Some people in the show do an excellent job, I think, to pull off properly a mustache. And you know what? Honestly, if you've got one and you love it, then I'm happy for you. Yeah, no shade, but, no shade, <laughs> no shade. I think you need to have a fucking excellent chin to pull off a mustache. <laughs> okay, got it. There's a character in episode two that pops up who has a excellent chin and mm-hmm. a, a great mustache. And I'm like, that man needs that mustache. Right. That's an excellent. Was excellent. that the new uh, commanding officer guy that comes in? Yes, it is. I wrote his name down. Don't I don't know it right now, but later on in the notes, it's written down. Okay. Uh, he is great. He's got a great mustache, but Bucky's is terrible. It is yes. wispy. It is the wrong color for his face. Right. It's like if I were to have one, I, I have a it ginger almost looks beard and fake, blonde hair. Right? Yes. It, it almost looks a little fake thing. But it's like they sprayed hair, hair from a can onto his upper lip. <laughs> right. Right. I'm very thankful Austin Butler doesn't have a mustache in this show. And I don't Um, understand this whole opening scene that they are in the bar scene with the two main characters, with their gal friends, just before they're shipping off. And then it just- see them with the dames back home. Yeah. And then it's like, and then nothing. So I don't know if there's, if there's going to be any kind of recurring stuff later with them. And then we just jump right over to- um, to uh, what's his name's first mission to uh, uh, Bucky. Caleb, Bucky's Caleb Turner's first mission. It's so hard to remember the names of these people because they're just flashing by you on the screen constantly. For some reason. Well, okay. They, they did this and they make fun of it the whole time. The Bucky two main Buck, characters are Bucky and Buck. Yeah. Buck is called that because he's a cowboy. Uh, right. And Bucky is just what his name's always been. Right. So they 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 rolled with it. Uh, Buck's real name is Gale, which I think is a fun name for like someone who has to deal with wind as their job. Right. <laughs> um, Strange connection, but okay, I get it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's it's it, it stuck to my brain. So yeah. it worked out as so, as far as storytelling goes. I'm very thankful he didn't have a mustache. What was your, what were you saying about him? Oh, I, oh, I don't know. The, the, oh, just back. the okay. opening bar scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it touches on it a couple of times because you'll see, you'll see Buck pulls like the picture of his dame out and right. you know, give it a longing glance as Austin Butler can only longingly glance at things. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, he's very also, Elvis in this. He's got he the toothpick. He's, still in he's there. got the hair. <laughs> right. And it's like, he's trying to go for like, uh, you know, the, the character itself is from what Wyoming cowboy state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, from Casper, Wyoming, that's the right. cowboy state. We and learned that still, in the show. He, Yes, he's still doing Tennessee for sure. Um, a little bit of that. And I'm sure there's some wires that can be crossed there. Uh, a, a draw is a draw no matter where you're from. But yeah, he's he's still very Elvisy. Did you know that jukeboxes are from the 1890s? 
that old? Yes, I didn't know. I was like, wow, they would have had jukeboxes because I, you know, we're, we're in the bar, so there's diegetic yes. music. I was like, is there a band playing somewhere? And uh, the dames, I'm going to keep calling them that because it's, it's you know. It's period. It's period piece. Uh, they walk up on a jukebox and they, they they play a record on the jukebox. And I was like, huh, interesting. So I, didn't I, even, I, I didn't even clock that. It just seemed so natural for that to happen. Yeah, it prompted in my head, like, wait, how old are jukeboxes? Well, that's the, this is the lore hounds. This is what we do. <laughs> yep. That's exactly yep. what we do. But yeah, uh, I was surprised to find that out. Yeah. Uh, this scene goes right into a, like, there's lots of, like, death talk in this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, played in, like, how a 20-year-old talks about death. Right. Oh, you're um, shipping out. You're so lucky. Save some Germans for me. Yeah. Right. You know, don't, uh, yeah. Uh, don't have if all the I fun until I get there. Yeah. You know. You're getting all that, and then a hard cut to a fucking dogfight in Germany, <laughs> uh, and it's just that it, you're just seeing all the rough stuff right away. Chunks of the plane get ripped off, flak, you know, shot into landing right next to where your head just was. Someone's right. face being blown off of its head. Yeah, um, the dogfights of this era, and as we have already discussed, are unfathomably scary. Yeah, uh, it's dark, it's cold. Um, even in the, even in the daytime, it's dark because you're in a, you're in a sealed up metal tube. Right. Looking out through this, this window and into the, the wind and the cold. And then these things, the, the fighters attacking them are moving at the relative velocities are insane. Yeah. You know, you're going cross path with them. So it's like double the speed on both ends. It's just so scary. And And the bullets are so big. (laughs) The bullets are so big. They're huge. Huge. (laughs) What boggled my mind is when you've got a an airplane attacking you and then you're tracking it with your 50 caliber machine gun and then you come as you're pivoting you come across your angle of fire starts to cross your fellow wingman right the other plane across you so how many times did other B-17s get shot up by the friendly air crews of, of somebody in their squadron when they were chasing yeah, a friendly enemy fire fighter. had to be rife it absolutely happened, which would which just makes it even more horrible. <laughs> yeah. So from that, we hard cut again to the to the intro. So you you sort of talked about this, the Vaseline on the lens, yeah, the, uh, the uh, very heroic Swelling music, the solo horn, uh, as always, sounds like it's very regal sounding. Mm-hmm. That's why the military uses it. It sounds um, it sounds heroic. Right. I was curious about who was doing the music for this because I am a bard. Blake Neely, who does a lot of TV work, he provided additional music to like soundtracks uh, to films earlier in his career. He has been, I won't say slumming it, but he's been doing stuff, uh, Riverdale and a couple of other things. But uh, I do enjoy his work here. It feels very period and good. Uh, short of one scene in particular that I might get into later. Uh, I'll, I'll just do it now. The first time we are all gearing up, Buck is going to go on his first mission. Mm-hmm. We get this music that it just, you know, it, it really is like, it's beautiful. It's painting the whole picture. You get a lot of gravity out of it. You know, it goes from like solo, like drums, like military, like snare drum, and you're getting the horns and stuff. And then <laughs> there's like another time they do it and they play sort of the same exact music. <laughs> so it's like, Let's cut on the gearing up music, right? Uh, like the they, montage like, gear up music. Yeah. yeah, it's like breakfast to them. It's just right. like like they flip it on. So I don't know. I am liking the music on the show, but yeah, it's it it is very cheesy in a uh, in a way that uh, I enjoy. It's it's really trying to do that thing of thank you for your service, and we're so honored that you sacrificed, and we want to honor the sacrifice. It's sort of that. 
It is honorable. Yes. You know, that backlash to the Vietnam response, right? We're trying to make sure that our our veterans feel uh, appreciated. And so it's somber and soulful at the same time. Yeah, I like it. Let's not do a full scene by scene. So let's just jump through a little bit. Is there any other key things that jumped out for episode one for you? I've kind of talked about most of what I thought because of that mean, the one big bombing run that they go on, which is kind of like all the bombing runs that they go on. We see how the planes operate. We see how they arm the bombs. We see how they target. We see what it's like to deal with engine failures or, you know, having uh, part of your wing blown off and what the gunners have to do. So we really learn everything that's involved to actually, while you're in the air, they're engineering in the air. Yes. Right, they're figuring, oh, we got to change the hydraulic pressure of this one, and we got to counterspin the rotation of the, the internal Zygomote reference guide thing. They're, they're engineering. They're, they're engineers in the air, keeping yeah. their airplanes. They're not just stick jockeys. Right. The show does a pretty good job, I think, of teaching you all of that. Yeah. And then sort of back on the ground, uh, it's, it's trying to ingratiate some of these characters to you in ways that I think are somewhat effective. Mm-hmm. I like the story of Bucky using <laughs> and breaking a narwhal tusk right. uh, to, to, to fuck up an Air Force bar basically while he was <laughs> drunk. You know, Buck, as he shows up, he sort of gets uh, the trail of his buddy. I like the scene with Tommy, the dart thrower. Right. It's it's doing a pretty good job of characterizing Bucky as just like a wild and crazy guy. Yeah. And he's definitely not cut out for air executive officer. He just does he is not, not an executive. A, he no. needs to be in the shit with the boys. Right. Um, and that's where he that's where he feels the, the best. And I think the whole thing, too, when they change the commanding officer thing, like that was confusing as well. And that's what started to clue me off that, oh, this is trying to be sort of historically accurate to the book, which is trying to probably tell the story of the real history of the Bloody Hundred, right? So why rotate these characters in and out so quickly? We barely even know them. What does it matter? Does it matter to the story? Does it matter to us as as viewers, yeah. But yet it's accuracy for the sake of accuracy rather than for narrative. Specifically with, uh, I believe I called him um, Colonel Blood Vomit uh, yes, in my notes. <laughs> that's him. He's the one that you're you're referring to. Like you're, It's a very specific detail uh, about this man that we learn. Yeah. And they do that kind of with most of our characters here. Crosby, who is our narrator, uh, mm-hmm. we get a lot more of him in episode two than we did of episode one. Uh, he's the guy narrating the show. He gets airsick. So, I mean, like they've got little like threads in a lot of these dudes, uh, that are going to kind of try and hold because, and the, the other thing that makes it harder for them, uh, everyone, you know, has the same hair and the same clothes and yes. it's all the same. They're all in the uniforms. They're all white men. They're, They're all, all white. of a particular yeah. age. You know, you yeah. can tell a little bit the officers from the junior enlisted a little bit in age, but also uniform, but then still everybody's in uniform. Yeah. So you like, get some accents that kind of help you. You get mm-hmm. some specific things. Um, and other war movies have done a pretty good job of like of differentiating character, even through all of this stuff. But yeah, uh, I think definitely by episode two, some of the characters like are, they come off a little stronger to me in a, in a better right. way. Also, we got an air dog named Meatball. That was, that was fun <laughs> to see. Always fun to see a dog show up. And they did indeed pet the dog. If there's a website that involves that. There's um, a, and that's a common war trope and, you know, which is based on, I think, real historical incidents of soldiers adopting, uh, animals in the, in the field. I even think at the beginning of war in the Ukraine, media coming off the front lines. Yeah. And I remember seeing 
uh, I don't know if it was in on Instagram or a TikTok, but like the cats of the, you know, the Ukrainian people's army. Right. <laughs> That's cute and sad. <laughs> yeah, cute and sad at the same time. Um, there, there are some pretty strong scenes in the first episode. Uh, the belly landing yeah. uh, was very good. A lot of good tension there. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an interesting quote that I, I hadn't ever really considered. Better a belly landing than attempting to land on one wheel. Yes. Yeah. Which I guess that's true. I wouldn't yeah. have, I, I, I don't know what I would have thought, but. Because you would spin out, right? I mean. Bounce. Pretty wild. I also, I thought it was like really affecting that when the plane stopped. Mm-hmm. After its belly slide, they didn't just like take a minute and breathe. They all out, ran out, away out, because out. obviously the plane could immediately catch on fire or explode. Right. Because there's bombs in it. Right. <laughs> like, and fuel. And, and, and fuel. Yeah. Uh, actually, I don't know if it had the bombs in it. They probably I think, think they, they, they let the bombs go over the channel. They ditched. Yeah, they, yeah, they, ditched, they ditched the, the payload bombs. there. But still, you know, fuel. All, the, all those poor fish in the, in the sea there. <laughs> so the, you, we never talk about poor bombed fish of World War II. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And then there's all those other little things too, like when uh, one of the gunners tries to touch the guns without his gloves and he gets frostbite. Oh, I, I, I couldn't tell at first if the gun was just so hot that it melted to his hands, but then it, it became very clear. No, it's actually too fucking cold. That's why yeah. they got to wear gloves. Because if you touch bare metal up there, it's freezing. Uh, or the guy in the belly pod guns who, you know, where he got a hole shot in it and uh, and his suit. His entire ass got frostbite. Right, right. And because <laughs> his electric suit got fire, um, shot up a little bit. So he, he stopped having a, a warming thing. So, yep. All right. What about episode two? Any, any big scenes in there for you? Um, I want a sheepskin bomber jacket. Those things look slick as hell. <laughs> All right. I don't know how to say his name. Barry Keegan in the show. Uh, Keegan is my guess. He's in a uh-huh. lot of stuff right now. He was just swinging his ding dong around in that, in that one, uh, Saltburn show. Okay. I have not seen Saltburn. <laughs> I, <heard laughs> I haven't seen it either. I've just seen the scene where he swings his ding dong around. He dances from one end of a giant house to another and he's completely nude. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So I've <laughs> wow. seen that scene. So I have seen, okay. I have in fact seen his ding dong, <laughs> but his show, his name in this show is Kurt. He's an Irish man right. and his accent that, that he's going for is just so insane. Right. Uh, he's going for very New York, which seems to be over the, the top. To Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, apparently, whenever you're trying an American accent, you need one like that because the non-regional accent is a lot harder to do. That's why like Harley Quinn is an easy accent for um, what's her name? Uh, most beautiful woman in the world, probably. What's her name? Barbie. Uh, oh, Greta Gerwig. Sorry, no. that's the director. Um, that's the director. Okay, we're going to get in trouble now. Barbie. She got snubbed at the Oscars terribly. She sure did. Margot Robbie. Like Margot Robbie does the the Harley Quinn voice. She said it's like a lot easier because you don't use the ah. The, mm. you know, and and, and our, you don't use ours in like Australian and you, you don't do it either when you do in the New York accent. So uh, I think that's sort of what, why Barry is making that choice for that right. New York voice he's doing. He gets uh, into a little into the- dust up in episode two with uh, yeah. some of the British pilots. So obviously they're, again, one of these vignettes, these little tours, slice of life things, the animosity between the American pilots and the British pilots and their sort of who's better, their their uh, ding dong measuring contests as as men will men at war will do. Uh, I really enjoyed that fist fight. It immediately like made me give a shit about Bucky, Buck and Kurt. And it made me remember their names and the British, like the British guys too. Like I, I cared about them. And then they, on the next mission, Kurt gets shot up a little bit and, and his plane is slow. So the squadron, rather than leaving him behind, actually slows down. And then our main character, one of our main, our narrator, 
the navigator figures out something which makes him sort of a, a bit of a, a hero in terms of how they fly back so that they can get over land quicker so that if he has to ditch, if Kurt has to ditch, he can ditch on land. And that's like, a, I guess, a really big deal, right? That's Yeah, that's, something tells me, like, I don't know the exact protocol, but something tells me that they sort of uh, fudged the rules a little bit. Completely. To, to sort of help their friend, which is yeah. pretty cool of them. And that's this interesting thing, too, about the air combat stuff with the bombers is it's all about pack tactics, right? If you're not in a pack, you can be hunted and picked off, just like when hunting dogs are, are chasing some uh, gazelle or something, right? You're, you're trying to peel individuals off so that they're then not having uh, access to group defense but their solo defense is not enough for multiple attackers coming at different directions. Right. And they talk so much about formation and stuff too. And not only is it like ideal for like the math and the bombing, but I mean like you're, you got your silhouette up there. Everyone's trying to be as safe as possible. Yeah. It's all just uh, it's, it's important. Yes. <laughs> in ways that you don't really consider unless you're specifically thinking about this thing. Exactly. The, the man blood vomit, uh, he is just, is just in a hospital out of town now. So we get a new guy. The new CEO, who is the man I was talking about before with the excellent chin, very handsome, immediately charismatic, southern accent, gotta love it. He he inhaled his cigar, which makes me love him. Um, (laughs) It takes a real fucking man to inhale a cigar, and it's it's a thing I like about you. And even if you're a woman who does that, then you're a real man, goddammit. Yeah, he's very uh, cut uh, man, square jawed, you know, clean, hard charging type of CO, which is, I guess, a big deal for this unit. Puts them into more of the action, I guess they could, we could say. They're they're getting more missions and more sort of deadly facing missions. Yeah, they're going to Trondheim, Sweden, or whatever it was. Right. Like the way you said it was just like it's a he's like a video game guy that gives yeah, you completely. a quest. Right. Central casting. Yes. The other guy was more like I don't even know what I put him in my notes. I said he's a severe sinister cartoon man. Right. Um, so in in the opposite way uh, right. of what this man is, Go, po- polar opposite man. And I like him a lot more. I like looking at him. Uh, Bucky gets really sad in a toxic way in this episode. Yeah. Where they're standing on top of the plane. He's like pressuring Kurt to punch him in the face because he wants to I, feel you, something. Have, have you ever had a friend like this? No, <laughs> I've had a couple of friends who are punched me in the face. I'm drunk and sad friends. OK, kind of fun to do that. Because uh, you're like, no, I'm not going to punch you in the face. That's stupid. And they're like, come on, man. I really wish you would. And they're like, well, all right. I don't get to punch people in the face very often. So here you go. Wham! I'd probably hurt myself <laughs> if I did that. Maybe. <laughs> it's it's hard. You definitely have to know how to punch. Yeah. And you know, you put you punch for the cheek. Right. Uh, if if you ever at least if, amount uh, of damage. If, if me and you were drunk and I ask you to punch me in the face, okay. uh, just go ahead and punch my cheek. I got a big, I got a big soft cheek. <laughs> that's good to know, Brandon. The things I didn't know about Brandon before podcasting <laughs> with you. Yeah, that's where I need you to hit me. Please, All right. please hit me there. Not the eye. I think we can move on from this conversation. <laughs> what um, else uh, that shocked and amazed us about this uh, episode? The too? hard cut uh, from him being extra drunk that night to drinking coffee in front of the, very, the very CEO. Good. Yeah. Yes, I loved that. Uh, and I, I definitely have also been there and he will feel terrible very shortly. The Well, the line from the CEO was, uh, are, are you hungover? And he says, not yet. And that comes after, <laughs> that I think he said. That was really good. <laughs> It was very, very, very fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I do. I, I am starting to like the characters by episode two for yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, we get to meet that nineteen. He was in the first episode, but the nineteen-year-old crew chief, 
mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're saying he's the best damn crew chief they had when he was 19. Right. right. And, you know, it's his job to make sure that all these planes are really well taken care of. You get that scene where there's a kid with a hook for a hand and they're going to use fire to sort of clean up a big <sighs> spill. It was a little cheesy for me, that that whole scene, because the, the children were so doughy eyed and they were just so, oh, gosh, gee, mister, you know. And they're English, so it makes yeah. it harder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a, it was yeah, a little too much for me, that scene. I, I mean, they did punctuate it well with the plane going down on the on the outside right. of the the airfield there. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I have a hard time um, handling Eng- English children. I will say that. I hate, the, <laughs> I hate their voices. Uh, English adults I'm fine with, but the children, I just don't want to hear them talk or sing. What's that song? Can't always get what you want. Hate that part. You get later on into the episode and the narrator, uh, is he had to take over Bubbles' job because Bubbles got sick. And uh, he is trying to navigate and stuff in the sky. And he had barfed in his helmet before because that's his thing is that he barfs. He's trying to navigate. He puts his helmet on because they're getting hit with some flack. And he thinks he's hit because there's stuff dripping from his head and onto the onto his maps. But obviously he he's like, oh, never mind. False alarm because he actually called it out that he was hit. Right, right. Uh, and it's he thinks his brains are pouring out onto his onto the map. But no, he's not hit. It's just it's just barf. I think that goes to the this idea that you're so amped up on adrenaline and your awareness is so uh, wide and narrow and narrow and wide that you can't even necessarily tell. Have I been wounded? I don't know. I, I may not yeah. feel the injury because the adrenaline is so uh, has got me so amped up. Yeah, sometimes when you're hurt really bad, you just literally don't feel those things. Exactly. And also with brain injuries, you hear all the time that, you know, if it's a you don't have any nerve endings in your brain. Your brain's right. not going to hurt if you're hurt. It's right. just it's just the, the damage is done. Interesting. I didn't think yeah. I never thought about that. There, there's an actual no sensory nerve endings in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I'm not a doctor, but I think that's the, I think that's true. Inside your brain, right? Yeah. Your scalp, it's a different thing, but yeah. Yes. Inside your brain. It just wouldn't yeah, work. I'm, You're like, hmm, it's not working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a couple of clo- closing thoughts. I, I'm glad Kurt made it because I, I like him as a character a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the the big three I am liking. I don't like Austin Butler, but I like his hair. Uh, but I think Buck is not a bad character to follow around. Bucky's fun. He's going to be the troublemaker of our show. Kurt Kurt's cool. He's your he's the, your New York punchy man. He's great. The bike race was the one thing we barely really touched on. Um, but yeah, the, to wrap up, there's like an incredible visual after the bike race mm-hmm. over, of the bombs over the sky. Right. Buck kind of goes into some details about his family about, about his father. And there's a cl- sort of a closing line where Buck agrees that the daytime bomb drops are suicide. And he says, it, it, I'll truncate it. What do we do? At, we lead our boys through it. Right. So it's just kind of showing the character of these men and like the sort of weight of all of this. Like they know what they're doing is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like in, in a like, you know, they could be doing it more safely at night, but they are going to do it in the day because that's what they got to do. And uh, yeah, like I, and I, I think it was pretty of- touching. I, you know, from what I've seen ahead, the, the army air corps tries to maneuver around that. They're trying like, okay, well, what are some different things that we can experiment with or try? So let's change our tactics to see yeah. if, if we can alter that a little bit. And I, and we definitely see that in episode three and we'll see where it goes with beyond that. There are teases of things in the you know in the trailers and the that make me seem like we're going to get introduced to a few more characters and then that things are going to change for certain characters they're going to cover some of the what happens if you have to bail out over germany and you're a pilot Ooh. behind enemy lines stuff 
That's fun. I was thinking we were going to get some of that with Kurt, uh, but he landed safely in Scotland and was drinking whiskey with a bunch of Scottish men. Well, we've got, so. you know, six more episodes to go. So, or no, yeah. uh, what are we? Yeah, six, right? Six, seven, eight. Uh, try seven. Try seven. Try math, David. I'm not math a mathematician. Marks. I think what we'll do for the second half of this podcast is take a couple of key scenes from each of the episodes and we'll just sort of recap the season through that lens. And then hopefully we'll have some feedback from folks, you know, who've, who've sent in their emails and or voicemails. And then we've got one of our faithful listeners who's uh, expressed an interest in this topic. And I think we're going to invite them on as a guest as well. So we'll get a little bit of a different perspective. He, they're a Brit, so that'll be nice. They can talk a little bit about that experience from their side of the pond. So we're going to get into a fist fight on the outside of a bar. That's that's up to you, man. If you, <laughs> I'm not Just punching hit the nobody. Cheek. Hit the cheek, <laughs> buddy. Hit the cheek. Cool. Brandon, well, thanks for coming on today. I hope you enjoy the rest of the season. And uh, I look forward to talking when we get there in a few yeah. episodes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching this thing. It's going to be great. I'm not going to need to take as intense notes. So I will get to sort of let it all wash over me in a nice little binge. Right. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. So uh, we do have a Patreon. Uh, if you're interested in supporting us, you could check us out at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. It's pretty reasonably priced, I think, for the, the content that we put out. I, I think you can get an annual membership for like 33 bucks for the year and you get ad-free access, uh, versions of all of our podcasts, early access. We have this really cool tool called a show tracker. I use this Notion database document thing. It's very fun. And we're tracking all the shows that are of interest to our community. So you can see them all laid out in, in a timeline and plan your streaming strategy. If you like to turn on and off your, your streaming services, uh, if you just want to find out, oh, is this a show? I heard about the show. Let me go check it out. There's little synopses and, and uh, embedded links for the uh, trailers and stuff. It's a lot of fun. And it is truly I've, a beautiful and intuitive and amazing tool. And I'm so surprised that David had time to do it. it it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I was literally working on it all last year, just fiddling with it, trying to figure <laughs> out what the right uh, balance of information is. And then when it came together, it was like, boom, it was like, I was, well, you're a musician. So it's like, you've been noodling on a song, like a melody for like a, a really long time. And then one day it just hits you and you're like, oh yeah, yes. here it is. Boom. That's sort of what happened. And I've done this detectives journal for true detectives. So that's a, a, a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm, also storing insane. Up all, I'm storing up all the clues. I'm taking screenshots and putting them in there. There's a character guide. So it's, it's all very cool. So that's all available to our subscribers as well. You know, if you're interested in supporting us, it's really great. We make sure that all our co-hosts are taken care of as well. Um, you get a discount for annual memberships, all that stuff. So Check us out if that's something of interest to you. <clears throat> and if not, no worries. You know, the, the public feed is always there for you. We have a Discord. A lot of folks like to chat over there. We've got a great um, mod team uh, keeping things organized and on, on point. We've got channels for uh, all the different shows and projects that we've got. And it's just a, a fun place to interact with like-minded TV fans, TV and book fans, because we've got... Uh, movies and books as well going on. We've got a couple of affiliate podcasts that we sponsor. We've got Wool Shift Dust, which is Alicia's podcast. She's doing a lot of different sci-fi stuff. She's doing some Dune coverage in prep for the movie. They, she did a full episode to episode of the Wool Shift Dust television show, also an Apple television show. She's going to be covering the three-body problem. Uh, so check out her feed. 
And then we've also got Properly Howard Movie Review, where that's um, Anthony from Electric Bookaloo, if you've heard his podcast, where he does a full chapter reads of the George R.R. R. Martin books. He doesn't read the full chapters, but goes chapter by chapter and, and breaks them down, down and discusses them. And then his buddy, Steve Osborne, who's a uh, stand-up comic, they have properly Howard movie reviews and they review movies and they, they have a really funny take on a, a lot of stuff. They're on a little break right now, but as soon as we get dates for Severance season two, the four of us, John, not you, Brandon, but John, my our, our no. other main co-host, and I and Anthony and Steve, we're all going to be covering Severance week to week uh, as a four-person podcast. So that's going to be, be fun. fun. Yep. And then for us, for the Lorehounds, like we said, we've got True Detective. Uh, we're going uh, full episodes on that. We got screeners, so our episodes are we're pre-recording just one week ahead, though. So we're we're staying right in with everybody else. But then we're able to drop our episodes right after an episode ends. So we just recorded three. So uh, the episode three podcast will drop the moment that the episode three finishes on television. We did a Fargo season five wrap up. That was a lot of fun. You and John are doing uh, Final Fantasy seven. That should be out in February. Yes. Uh, we're going to have a podcast up on uh, Rogue One for our Star Wars Film Festival. We're watching all of the Star Wars major movies in story order. And we just had a live watch for Rogue One. We're going to put that podcast out. And the next month is going to be A New Hope, which is going to be the, the original movie st that started it all back in 77. We're going on with our Earthsea book series. We'll have another episode out for that in February, along with the Silmarillion, our ongoing Silmarillion coverage. We're going to be reading the chapter of Min, so that should be good. And then we're waiting for dates on a bunch of stuff. We're looking at, we're waiting for House of the Dragon, Rings of Power, The Boys, The Acolytes, all kinds of stuff. So stay tuned here for news on those. Anything that you're keeping your eye on, Brandon? Uh, yeah, definitely probably going to be covering Halo in some capacity for okay. the Warhounds. Um, I think David is interested in it. If David has David, John, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, other John, David. David might not be interested. No, in I'm it. not um, interested. <laughs> but John, I think is interested in it. If not, I will probably end up doing some kind of Halo coverage. Um, Very cool. If, uh, if not full series than uh, one shot. I don't think right. it's a long, long show anyway. It's probably less than 10 episodes or less. Well, let me check the show tracker and I'll tell you in just a moment. Oh, shit. You know, you, that that thing is amazing. <laughs> the, uh, Avatar is going to be a thing that I'm yeah. paying attention to this year. So we yeah, there's not only do we have a John, but we have a Jean, and uh, I think Jean and John John is iffy, but I know Jean was interested. So hopefully you guys can figure out a, a three way on that. That'd I think John is is specifically scared because of the history of live action adaptations of Avatar, and right. also just the if you are of our age. Uh, Avatar is sort of a religious experience. Right. It is like the first it's they gave a shit so hard on that show. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is truly uh, an, a, an amazing show. So Halo is nine episodes with an initial drop of two. That ain't bad. Yep. Starting February. Hell, we might 8th. cover it just around the corner. We might cover it in a similar way to this then. Could be fun. Yeah, it could be fun. Other than that, no. Doing that shit. Okay. Playing, playing video games. Patreon Loremaster shout out. These are our top tier subscribers who uh, we are eternally grateful to. Samartian, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Patina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Doof 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, 
Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Deadeye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub Zero, Aaron K, Dally V21, Gnarls, and good things come to those who are last, Adrian. Adrian, who has requested to always be listed last in the thing. And Gnarls, who always wants to be uh, referred to as Gnarls. <laughs> We love our Patreon lore masters. Thank you all so very much. Brandon, thanks for being with me here tonight. This will be an interesting experience. I hope the season comes out good. Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to, to catching up on the show. And it's always fun to be a lorehound. See you next time. Have a good one. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.